The technology landscape is exploding, and it has never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. There's so much information out there, it can be hard to know where to start or who to trust. Your host, David Paul, is a seasoned venture capital investor that has founded his own investment firm, DWP Capital. He's a straight shooter that cuts through all the noise to bring you real and authentic conversations with investors, founders, and operators in the startup ecosystem. Join him each week to stay current with today's trends and get smarter about startups and tech investing. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul with the Capital Stack podcast, where we talk about all things startups and technology investing, value creation. Today, I am with Ryan Edwards, the Ryan Edwards of Silicon Valley Bank, managing director, and he's got a little bit of news. (laughs) Is that my cue? Yeah, that's your cue. Okay. Yes. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me on here. I appreciate it. It's good to be on the capital stack. Yeah, this is a Great opportunity to kind of uh, discuss what's kind of next in my life and career and things. Been You've got a great podcast voice, by the way. Thank you. Smooth. Yeah. <laughs> I like I have it. a face for radio. <laughs> you got a face for radio. Exactly. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah. That's so, um, yeah. So I've, I've been with Silicon Valley Bank for, as you know, for 13 years, which has been a wonderful time. And uh, now I'm excited to reveal my next venture, which is um, a new venture debt fund called Prospect. Prospect. Mm-hmm. P-R-O-S-P-E-C, right? EQ. EQ, sorry. Yes. EQ and .io, right, is your yes. is your is your name. And um so I mean give me give me the origin story. Give me the, you know, the the, the Ryan Edwards, you know, I, I you started off as a credit analyst in Comerica. Yeah. Really like banking, I guess. Gosh, you know, sort of <laughs> I, I was I was always interested honestly in finance and that was something that yeah, was something I wanted to kind of do a little bit around and sexy, right? <laughs> I don't know why, you know, yeah. it's like, why is this fascinating to me? But was interested in companies. I always liked kind of seeing different types of businesses and being the, getting the opportunity to kind of be involved and, and see what different people were doing in all different kinds of industries. And so did that early on and kind of fell into an opportunity to work with a couple people at a, at a bank at one point where they were running a debt fund and I got to be part of that process and see them starting it, running it, um, you know, help with a little bit of the, the, the backside of that and underwriting and some things on, on deals. And that's kind of stuck with me for a long time. And as I, I transitioned at one point to Silicon Valley Bank three, 13 years ago, as I mentioned, and got the opportunity to really grow um, a lot of my skill sets around, you know, understanding technology companies and lending models and different things that way. And then it's come full circle back to, okay, you know, this is, I've, I've wanted to, since that long time ago, be involved in starting something like that and having my own um, debt fund that I could go out and support and help companies that are early stage and growing. And I, I decided now is the right time, just opportunity and where there's a gap in the market. And let me go out and, and support these companies. 13 years at Silicon Valley Bank. I don't think I've done anything consistently for 13 years. I, I've heard that from a few people. Several people have told me, like, <laughs> I don't insanity. think I've been in the company for more than four years. No, like, <laughs> exactly. Like, that is a ridiculous amount of commitment. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's a good place. So I, nothing, taking nothing away from Silicon Valley Bank because it's, it's been a great thing, and I appreciate the opportunity I've had there for this long time. 
So tell me, so, you know, for the audience that doesn't know, what, what's the difference between, you know, providing loan services or credit um, debt to a company from a bank versus a fund? Because we've used both terminologies right now. Yeah. So um, the, the, the major difference is regulation, right? I mean, I think banks are highly regulated, as most people know. And so what that means is they are tied to being very strict with how they do things, right? And and even if you saw something, you know, hey, I want to tweak this a little bit. I think we could, you know, maybe be a little bit more aggressive. There's there's risk that you have auditors, regulators, other folks come in and go, no, that's that's not okay. Why are you doing that? What'd you do on this deal? You know, that basically it's very that happens a lot. It, it, I mean, it can happen, which the opportunity for it means that at a large organization, they're going to put a lot of, a lot of guardrails up to not allow that to happen ever because it starts to lead oftentimes at a large organization to slippage into, okay, this is a slope that we're kind of like someone did this and then they went a little further, a little further right. at a smaller company. It's that, you know, you have a little bit more control over what you're doing. You don't have those people telling you, you, you can't do that. I don't want you to do that. Um, whether, whether this is a different opportunity, it looks totally different. doesn't matter. Um, you can kind of make your own decision on whether there's a fit here for what you want to do. Right. And so, you know, where a bank, if I'm giving a loan out to somebody that is backed by the deposits I have in the bank. Mm -hmm. So how's a fund different? So fund, um, there, there can be a few different ways, I guess it can be different, but you know, the way I'm setting it up is through investors, right? So there'll be limited partners that come in, invest into the fund. They get a return based on the returns I get from investing or lending out that money to bring back a return to everyone. Mm -hmm. And who was your first money in? David Paul. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. <laughs> David Paul was the first money in super excited to be a part of it. So <clears throat> Tell me a little bit about the size of company that you're trying to finance. You know, what, what, why is this an underserved uh, market that you just alluded to? And, you know, what's, what's the incentive structure for a limited partner that is going to invest with you? Yeah. So, um, the, the types of companies here are generally businesses that are sort of on the outskirts of banking. Just, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, these are businesses that are doing in the millions of revenue, but, you know, usually probably lower millions, single digit uh, millions of revenue, um, growing, but typically probably not, you know, double, triple a, a year type of revenue growth, but they're growing businesses that have a performance. They've shown monetization and the ability to, you know, manage what they're doing well, right? They're good management teams and everything, but, uh, there's, there's a need for additional capital to grow, right? And, and there's always a need for capital to kind of potentially change what your business is doing, grow faster, other things, hire, whatever you might need. And that opportunity when you're a hyper fast growing business, oftentimes comes through maybe raising through equity and going out and, you know, bringing in five, $10 million or more and going and trying to grow really fast for some of these businesses. That's either not desirable or um, not possible if they're not hitting, you know, the growth rate yet for them to do that. So then it turns into where do you get other financing that can come sometimes through angels that can come through banks and that can come through something like a uh, prospect where you can kind of bring in capital that way. And, you know, if you look at the bank way that can work for a lot of folks, if you're willing to remain within those guardrails we talked about, right? Like, are you going to be profitable at all times? Are you going to be 
have collateral, full collateral coverage on what we're doing. At Personally all times. guarantee. Personal guarantee. Pledge your house oftentimes. All those types of things which can be restri- restrictive. Or- Not to mention six to nine months of administration, <laughs> right, to get it done. I've heard of people taking SBA loans out, but I've never actually seen one done. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's just like a unicorn, this mythical beast of an SBA loan. But apparently, like, people get them. I've never seen it. <laughs> SBA loans get done. And I, I mean, yes, you're right. It does... It can take time and it can be frustrating sometimes for some of those people, but it, it's an, it's, there's always that option. I think that's, it's, it's really looking across, like you talk about the capital stack. What are the options? That is an option. People should know that. And then, you know, but there also is other options, right? And I think that what, what I'm doing is something that um, is, is, is out there. It's available, you know, for people, but not at a high level and it's hard for people to find. And I, I want to make that easier and, and try to make it a simpler process for someone to be able to get capital to grow their business. And when, you know, you're thinking about uh, the cost of capital, if you're a business, you know, you have the, you know, the equity player who would be me, somebody who's buying equity, that would be the most expensive because you're giving up your, your ownership in a possible exit. You have the bank debt, which is probably the cheapest, but the least, um, I would say, the least risk from a banking perspective because, yeah. you know, they have these incredibly large regulations. You know, they really only loan you the money if you don't need it, right? <laughs> like that's kind of mm-hmm. that's kind of how it goes. And then there's this there's this slice in between, right? And I guess there's like a, you know, another thing, which is I guess is like factoring and, you know, AR financing, but, you know, those rates can be pretty predatory. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on what you're trying to do. It's also, that's again, that comes back to collateral coverage, too. Those are very collateral-heavy type facilities. So it's it, it, this is a spectrum, right? It's like, what is the need and what am I willing to give up or trade off for, right? I mean, because even lower cost debt, you know, even if you qualify some people, it's like the restrictions can be tough on some of those, right? Which I might say that's totally fine for my business and someone else might say, well, I don't want to have someone tell me um, if I lose money for one month out of 12 that I'm in default and they can take all my money back. And so there's, there's things like that that you have to understand when you're going into it, that if you're comfortable with what someone's putting in front of you, that's okay. But if you're not, you know, what are the other options you can go out and do? Right. And from an investor perspective, Right. Mm-hmm. Because this is a market, you know, the founders have an option of what kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, financing they want and how expensive it's going to be and the amount of risk that's entailed in it. And then an investor also has the amount of risk, you know, that they want to put out with their money. So from an investor perspective, what does like what is the typical yield that um, that somebody can get from uh, a vehicle like this? Yeah. So, the you know, there, there, there can be a range there. And so it, it really depends on a lot of things as far as, you know, what companies are doing and, you know, as their losses within some of the businesses that you're kind of investing in. But you're generally going to see stuff in the teens for uh, prospect. That's the target rate, you know, and there, there's, there's no guarantees, obviously, in investing. But that's what the, the expectation is when you're walking into something like this is you're providing a return that's above market, right, more than people would get in a you know, whether it's, you know, the stock market or just bank account investing or, you know, savings accounts, other things you can invest in, you want to, you need to be above that, obviously, because there is additional risk in something like this. There is the opportunity for loss at all times if you're taking some sort of investment, but um, there is a much higher potential for return and regular cash flow for investors, which is why 
you would want to invest in something like this. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, 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 the risk is higher, but you get compensated really mm-hmm. well for the risk. You're not getting yield like this. You don't even get real estate yield like this, even on a secondary. Yeah. Um, correct. So no, uh, kudos to you. I want to dive a little bit deeper into like the, you know, last year of your life and the decision to jump into this, because I don't, you know, like I, like you touched on, okay, well, I just wanted to start a new venture and I did it. I mean, like I'm envisioning like you just kind of like, and I'm not trying to, you know, you know, knock SVB, right. Because they were, you know, a great platform for you, but like, what was that like taking that leap? I mean, was it like office space, like kind of like the same like routine going over and over again or, you know? Hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting question. I, I mean, so you definitely, anytime you do something for a while, at least from my perspective, like if I'm doing something for a while, I, I go, okay, what, how does this evolve? Right. How do I continue to grow with what I'm doing? I, you know, I've been in SUV for a long time, but I've also been in this role in, in this market for the last seven years. And, you know, you start to go, okay, so now how do I keep evolving? Right. How do I keep growing? You know, I learn about new businesses. I want to kind of understand different, you know, capital options, like stuff that you're, you're, you're teaching everyone about. How do I kind of keep growing? And so at a certain point you start to look at, okay, what else can I be doing? And, and I looked at that within SVB, where, where's there opportunities to continue to evolve what I'm doing to grow my skill set, do all that sort of stuff. And, um, this has always been something that I've wanted to do, as I said. And so I, I, I looked back at this and it, it kept coming up as, well, I'm going to do that at some point, right? And it's like, I'll do this at some point. I remember years ago, you talked about it. You're like, I kind of want to raise a fund. I'm like, oh, cool. And yeah. then it was just like, you know, two years later, then you, you know, you do it. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's something that's been on your mind, mm-hmm. you know, and then finally you pull the trigger. It, it, it took, you know, I had a couple folks I talked to. I had a couple mentors that, that talked to me and said, you know, why, why don't you do that? You know, like you talk about it, why don't you do it? What's, what's holding you back? Right. And then when I think about that and I really go back to the moment when that kind of stopped, I sort of had that moment of, um, I don't know why I'm not doing it right now. What is the real reason? I mean, of course there's a fear aspect. I think that holds you back sometimes. You have a family, mm -hmm. you know, that SVB, they compensate you well. It's a steady paycheck. There's security in doing what you know, right? You have the safety net, right? And you feel like, well, I don't want to lose that safety net. Right. And I think if I didn't have a supportive wife with that, you know, then I don't think I could have done this either. Cause I think she was very uh, important in this process of saying, you know, it's okay. Basically saying that if you want to go do that, you should do it. And, you know, we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, it'll be okay. If, even if, if things weren't perfectly or there's, you know, struggles or hurdles you have to get through, it's going to be okay. And I know I, I can fight through those things and, and make it work, but also it will be okay in the end. Right. I know that there, there, that safety net SUV may not be there, but there's, I'll, I'll make things work. And I know that I can fight through to, to figure out how to solve things. Mm-hmm. That's great that you had the support at home. Um, because every entrepreneur needs that, right. To make that, yep. to make that, that make, make that leap. Ray Kroc, he used to always meet with the franchisee and their wife to, mm. p- to pitch them on the McDonald's franchise opportunity. And he would always make sure to have dinner with the wife to get her excited and her, you know, on board with the opportunity. I like that, that. guy was a complete crook, right? And, and a bad <laughs> person. But he, uh, he, he definitely kn- knew that how important family support was specifically in entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. So mm. now you're in this classification, which I'm in as well, right? 
And it's, it's, it's an incredibly, you know, um, uh, it's definitely a term that we're hearing more and more of called the emerging manager. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean for you and the next six months of your life? Yeah. I mean, so for me, that means, um, explaining to a lot of people why I have the ability to do what I'm doing. Right. I mean, I've been doing the same type of thing for a you long gotta time. Sell, you got to sell investors. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to go out to people and say, okay, tell me what you're doing, why you're doing it, why I'm okay with you doing it when you didn't have a fund before this, right? You might have the experience, you have the knowledge, you have all that stuff. And, and so sh- is that enough? And is that enough for someone to say, yeah, I, I get it. And I think there is the opportunity there. You've convinced me. Right. And I think entrepreneurs do that all the time. Right. And they, same thing when they're, we don't have that term for an emerging entrepreneur, really. No. It's like first time founder, I guess. Right. Right, is there, right. Right. And, and you look at that and go, um, same thing, right? Is this enough? What they're doing? Can they tell me enough about this business? That they're ready to go make this a success. And so that's, what's going to be six months a year. I'm sure of that process of convincing people that I'm capable of doing what I'm doing already. Right. And you know, there's something that, um, somebody said at a previous pond, uh, podcast is that you can't hack uh, track record. It's mm-hmm. something that has to be earned and in the grand scheme, you do have tons of experience underwriting credit deals, but none of that can be actually tied back. Like you yeah. can, you can't show the return yeah. because you, there weren't your numbers. There were the bank's numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's different. And the, you know, the deals are obviously not the same, exactly the same. Right. So there's, there's differences there. Um, so yeah, you're going to have to prove yourself, but everybody has to, at some point, you got to go out and prove yourself and, and to be successful, you got to, you got to take a, a chance on yourself too, that you can, you can make that successful and you know what you're good at and what you need to learn and, and go out and show it. So why is there an opportunity now? Right. What, what's the, what's the, what's the battlefield look like? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's been an ongoing opportunity. I don't think that this is just showing now, but I've seen enough of it for a long enough time now to realize that, um, there's not enough uh, solutions out there to cover the amount of companies that need a solution like this right now, right? Where companies that are growing where this, they're, they're in this gap of I've grown a business. I'm either not at the stage for venture. I don't want to raise venture and a bank's not interested in me. And so I'm kind of in this in between stage of how do I keep growing and growing faster when I know I've proven it, you know, I've shown everyone I can build this, the business is there, there's customers, everything like that, but I need to go a little bit faster or I just need something. Like I got to hire a few more people and I can either wait an extra year or so until I earn enough to go hire that two people, or I can go borrow some money and do it now. Mm -hmm. Right. And so why, why credit? I mean, it's obviously your bread and butter, but why that instead of equity? Yeah. I mean, I just, to me, uh, I'm around a lot of equity and, and, and venture capital. And I think that there's, there's a, you know, certainly a place for that, but I also know there's a, there's a risk component to that that is very different from debt. And when I look at the opportunity to support businesses through debt, there's an ability where you can de-risk your investment significantly because there is obviously repayment, which is, which is why it's priced differently than equity mm-hmm. and the ability for companies to also take a, take a different, um, just have a different option, right? Even if they have that option right now, and they came to me and said, Oh, I have got this equity option and, or I could come to you and get the debt option. Like we're talking about, I, I want to pr- be able to talk to them about, okay, here's the costs, here's the different structures and you can choose what is best for you. And I just want, I, I like 
optionality for people. And I want them to understand what those different things mean. I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years about that. And, um, just, it's really important for people to know, um, oftentimes where they can get capital and what exactly it means when they take that type of capital. Yeah. And so not only less, uh, less expensive debt, um, but also a lot less risk from a, um, just a company viability perspective because, you know, you might end up with a bad investor or a bad board member, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a, a debt facility, you can, as you said, repay your debt over time and then your financing obligation is done. The inverse of that is the company doesn't do well, you own the company. Whereas if the company doesn't do well as an equity partner, that's just the cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that... So is there like an educational component like that you have to kind of get people over? Because I mean, I think that traditional venture financing has been around longer than this, you know, early stage credit, you know, financing. So it's like, do do you think a lot of your, your, um, your, your potential uh, portfolio companies, do, do they know about, you know, the, the, the ebbs and the flows of that? I think there's a good amount that do understand it, but there's definitely a significant number of people that don't understand that there's an option uh, like this out there. And that is part of the educational process that will be ongoing. I think that's you're never going to get everyone kind of knowing that there's an option of, of a capital piece in the, this middle section outside of banking. I think everybody knows, okay, debt's available on the banking side. And I get calls all the time from people who are you know, nowhere near where a bank would ever finance them. And they come asking for a bank loan because they don't know, you know the, the – the famous startup loan that people talk about, like I'm going to go get a startup loan from a bank. That doesn't really exist. <laughs> no, nope, doesn't exist. And so um, people, but everybody feels like that's a thing. Or you go to your bank and you just ask them, like, I want to start a business. Give me a loan. That doesn't happen. So realistically, people think that, you know, debt is the option is to go to a bank. So there's definitely an education of, yes, there are alternatives to what you may have known as a, this perception of where loans come from. Right. And they might think it, you might be like a, a um, uh, an AR, <clears throat> excuse me, a factoring mm-hmm. line, which is, you know, and when you bake in the fees could be up to 40%. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of very, very high price stuff that can, you know, range, range all around. There's, you know, credit card type things that people will do. And, there's financing, um, yeah, factoring can be expensive. There's a, there's a wide range of what that can be, lease finance and other stuff. Um, so, yeah, y- you can have a big spectrum. And I think people don't uh, – the, the, the biggest concern I have is I want to have transparency too with when I'm having those conversations. I think a lot of times people get facilities that are confusing where it's kind of, you know, they don't really ever know how much they're paying. You know, and, and I've, I've looked at some deals and you know, when you run the numbers, it is, it's, you know, you're paying 35% or 40% or, you know, even more on some, sometimes. And that's fine if you're okay with that. But I think a lot of times people don't know that that's actually what the cost is. They just go, well, you know, I just needed some money. And yeah, they don't realize that's good. a monthly rate, not, yeah. a, not <laughs> yeah. a yearly rate. They're like monthly, it's 5%. So it's yeah. fine, right? No. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And that compounds, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh yeah, it gets, it gets, it gets pretty expensive pretty quick, but you know, um, yeah, I guess there's a, there's a place, there's a place for everybody. Uh, do you have a partner? I do have a partner. So, uh, Philip Pipkins is uh, joining me on the, on the prospect team. And so he's also coming from Silicon Valley bank. And so we'll be launching this, uh, together here in the next, um, you know, few months. 
Okay, right on. And what? And so Philip is what? What's he going to do for the organization? And what? Like, how do you think about you know the operational flow? I mean, obviously it's a startup; everyone does everything, right? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, how do you think about actually running it and managing yourself? I should say. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we as you mentioned, we, we both have to be very independent when you have something like this. I mean, Philip and I will be doing all the work, you know, and, and sometimes that'll be, uh, I'm doing some of the things that he maybe is doing and sometimes we're trading off. Right. So, you know, as far as deal sourcing, raising capital, underwriting deals, kind of going through, um, having those, you know, legal docs set up and, and loan doc negotiation, all that stuff, it's sort of going to be a mix of who's got free time at that moment. Sometimes, you know, I think is where we'll end up. And, and some points will be hopefully handing off, Hey, you run with this for a while. I need to, you know, Philip help get the website set up and do this thing. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's going to be a little bit of everything. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I know from my perspective as a solo GP, um, I had to set like stuff like parameters because it's so easy to get, you know, completely, su- there's so many like plates you have to continually spin in the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And if you let go of deal sourcing, and you're talking to investors, there's no deals. You let go of, you know, uh, investor relations and there's no deal sourcing. I mean, like there's, it's like this yin and yang and you have to keep them both going at the same time. Yep. And also the sourcing relationships, right, can continually to knock on their doors and saying, hey, what you got? Right. Because I can tell you all the all the deals that are bottom of the funnel for me are deals that um, I received because I called the right person at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's really important, right? I mean, cause relationships are everything too. I mean, if you don't have that maintain and keep good relationships and also treat your partners well, I mean, I think you're just not going to be able to grow a good business. I mean, to me, I, I, I try to view everything as a potential partnership with people. I mean, even I have a lot of people say, Oh, you're going to have, you're going to have competition. This group's really, Do you feel good. like this is a partnership, this podcast, I, I, everything is yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, this is a partnership this podcast. Is great. I, mean, I know. I know. This I, feels natural. It, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's really great. I look at that stuff and you know, even competitors, I, I just, I never really uh, liked viewing stuff that way as like, Oh, this person's competitive. I have to figure out how to beat them all the time. Right. It's like, I, yeah, I feel like more than one person can win. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily say I'm in that the millennial generation of, you know, everyone's a winner or something. <laughs> yeah. But well, I, you're I, some fans San Francisco. Everyone gets a trophy. Right. That's you know? right. Everybody gets a trophy. So, <laughs> but I also do feel like it doesn't have to be cutthroat in every industry. Like there's, there's that mentality, like you, you need to be the one that beats everyone and beats them down or something. I think you can, you can win together oftentimes. So how competitive do you think this space is now and how competitive do you think it's going to be? you know, down the road a couple of years from now. Uh, yeah. And it sort of depends on, you know, which industry you're talking about and, uh, you know, the, the type, the size of deals. Cause like where I am focused, uh, I feel like there is, um, there is competition. Absolutely. But I do not think that there's uh, any volume or anyone that is, um, taking the market uh, in any kind of meaningful way right now. So I think there's an ability to go after the segment and be supportive and helpful and, and grow, for some time, I do believe as, um, you know, fintech lenders continue to grow and the, the knowledge base, as we talked about, the education of this starts to get better. I do think that there will be more competition and it will be a bit more restrictive. But I think that's still, you know, five to 10 years down the road where that starts to get tighter and you start to see maybe people looking for multiple competitors and term sheets when they're doing those deals. Because oftentimes when I see these now, even the people that are doing these 
they're just looking at one one group because right. there's not a lot. It's not like they no. go, well, I'm going to talk to three banks. I'm well, call. Who, 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 who's got time for that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like who wants, yeah. who wants to talk to three pool guys, right? Yeah. Like the guy's going to like, you know, build your pool, right? You don't yeah. need to talk to three more. And, you know, I think there's a ton of value, f- you know, at least from my perspective is being there first and showing up, mm-hmm. going into the office, you know, looking them in the eye, spending time understanding their business and just being there before everybody else being there, you know, underneath the hoop. And I think that's true with venture too, right? I mean, you, you mm-hmm. probably see that all the time. And I, I do as well that, you know, people like, well, I've been talking to this person in, on the venture world. We've been in conversations for a while and they were the first person to call me and be interested in my business. And so that happens. And I think that happens in debt too. You know, are you willing to be supportive and offer to write them a check early on? And they're like, well, that's, that, that means something. Some people still have a value of that relationship aspect of, this person's willing to take a chance on me versus, oh, someone else gave you a term sheet? Well, I'll, do, I'll give you a term sheet too then. Right. Um, I mean, I think that matters. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think within venture capital, because it's so inefficient to get deals done, lies like pricing opportunity, right, on the equity side. Um, and then, you know, lack of really just competitive bids. Now, I see these these vehicles like Pipe and what's the other one? Clear, Clearco? Or Clearco, Cl- yeah. yeah, Clearco. And, you know, these other types of, of financing, kind of like they're like push, push to loan, like a push button and you get a loan. Um, um, and I just, I'm not super bullish that they're going to be able to write large checks because I just think there's too many fringe cases that you need to understand. Yeah. And, and that's why I think there'll always be an opportunity for um, folks that aren't pure metric driven algorithmic lenders um, I think that stuff is going to continue to grow and be a significant part of the market, but you you can't. I mean, you, you can't underwrite for, uh, or you can't algorithmically determine a founder that looks like they're going to be the right fit for a business when you meet with them and, and understand how well they know their business. Um, I think we try to do that. We go, well, they came out of Stanford or they did this or, right. you know, like and try, and, anything, try yeah. and check off the box. That, right. that means that they algorithmically now will put them in a higher stage. I, I just... I don't, I don't like doing that. And I think it also, you know, we look at the bias that's created, um, in, in life. And I think algorithms also do that same type of thing because we're, we're inventing these algorithms that are also showing the bias that our society has a lot of times. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, that's a really good segue into funding biases and, and kind of the, um, social responsibility, uh, the branding, the message you're putting out there. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the name prospect is, is prospect is, is associated. The, the reason it's set up that way is, is prosperity and equality, right? I mean, you put those together, that was the name prospect. We wanted to focus on a market segment that I think is also underserved, which is um, minority and female um, owned founded businesses you know, that's going to be a material part of what we want to do. It's not, you know, a hundred percent of the deals we'll be doing, but it, it, I mean, I think just making sure that we're putting as much of that in the top of the funnel as we can to make sure we're looking at more of those deals will, will make a big difference. And I, I would love that to be the, the brand of this business we're trying to build to really be focused there and supportive of that market that right now is getting it's something like 4% of venture capital. There's just a, that's another, like I said, there's a gap in just the size of company. And then there's also this gap in, you know, 
the types of people that are getting funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so how do you, how do you, how are you going to source that? Like, like how do you execute on that? Yeah. I mean, I, that's going to take some, some of that is going to be a lot of effort on our side. So Philip and I, I think making sure that we are um, doing everything we can to actively approach groups that are investing in that segment. And cause I think they're seeing a lot more of those. I mean, it had some of those conversations, whether that's early stage seed funds that are focused in that segment or other, there's, you know, other groups that just have um, connectivity into some of these underserved markets. Uh, We need to make sure, like we talked about with relationships, maintaining those types of relationships that are going to provide top of the funnel deal flow that can hopefully help us provide capital there. Well, I'll give you a little cheat. Um, A hack is that I found that Dallas and Austin is filled with um, minority founders looking for capital. I mean, I get hooked up at the capital factory and, you know, I've I've literally had like, you know, a pitch last week where I had two African-American female founders that were like, you know, back to back, which was awesome. It was super awesome to see because this is a white, white man's, you know, Mm -hmm. business. I mean, and, you know, Specifically, uh, it's a white man's business on the financier perspective as well. And you do have an advantage because Philip is an African-American guy and, you know, he can speak to that community and he could probably speak to the investor base. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, I know Philip is very passionate about uh, what we're doing and and being connected with, um, you know, helping the minority community. And I, I, I just feel like it's, it's important that we can make that decision, right? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean we have to make, uh, bad investment decisions too for companies, which I think that's that's some of the things I've heard. I mean, I, I don't want to say it necessarily like that, but I think yeah, you're not a social development, you know, right. you're not like an impact fund that's just trying to like you know lift people up out of impoverished areas. Yeah, so it's not just like that's the default. Like you know, if you meet this, check this criteria, and then the loan comes your way, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's very important that yeah. the quality is the same, right? But you can't get to that point unless you're putting more deals in the top of the funnel that are in that space. Yes. Yes. You have to put a deal as only as looks as good as the deals that are around. it. They need to have the same qualifications. And that's one of the things um, I want to make sure we're looking at is that we're comparing and going this, this does look the same as the last deal we did. So it doesn't matter who, who is there, but let's, let's look at that and make sure we're, you know, we're getting it. And then we go, yeah, this looks just like the last deal. And we like that last deal. So it doesn't matter who it is. We should like this deal too. Okay. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. And then how are you going to get to your investment decision? Yeah. So we're going to, um, have, uh, you know, Philip and I obviously be looking at every deal, making decision, and we're going to have a, a, an outside third party come in who will also be involved to make sure that we have a kind of a, a third voice Smart. in there to, Smart. so that it's not just kind of getting, Oh, we're just talking all the time and saying that we like stuff together. You know, we want to make sure that there's outside opinion. Right. Exactly. Because especially, you know, these founders are pretty charismatic, man. You know, it's hard. (laughs) It's funny. My associate, Marcella, um, you know, she's like, Oh my God, I like this founder so much. I'm like, yeah, no shit. You like them. And they're fucking, you know, like sales guys. Nobody, everyone likes the sales. I've been sold um, many times by founders going in and, and walking out of a meeting and I have to talk myself down yeah. I, like, well, I'm like, this is amazing. This is going to change the world. Dude, oh I, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like I would say probably 85 to 90% of pitches I hear like in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fund this guy, company, <laughs> you know? And then for, and then I kind of back my way uh-huh. out of it. Right. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. <clears throat> hold on, hold on, hold on. Like really, what am I working? What am I looking at here? Mm-hmm. That's one of the nice things I think about um, the debt side for me is that I can, I can get into the numbers really deep and, and you know, so I can get the charismatic excitement and then come back and go, okay, 
this doesn't make sense where things are, or there's a lot of questions here. And then I can get into the logical side of going, okay, now I've got this and this and this, and I need all these answered or it's not, or it doesn't check enough for me. And that can pull me back really fast into, okay, is this really the right fit or not? Right. Prosperity, equality, you know, really trying to level the playing fields. You're also a vegan, right? <laughs> so like, you, what did you just have really good parents? Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> like, why, like, why are you such a good person? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I did. I mean, I, I, I liked my parents. Yes. They cool. were good to me. My mom was a teacher. My uh, dad was in sales for a long time. And, um, you know, it was, they definitely helped support me and, and let me be independent and in what I needed to do in my life. And I think I've grown a lot just over time too. It's just been getting, allowing perspectives to come in to, to, to change me who I, who I am a little bit too. I mean, I think there's just, um, you know, both my parents have passed away now and I, so I've had, I've kind of been able to see, uh, see my life evolve too of like, okay, life doesn't just, you know, go on forever. And, no. li- and then in there's, there's things in your life that if you want to do them, you should be doing those types of things and, and make yourself and other people support, bring people up because I, I definitely understand that if other people are successful around you, it's, it's better. Right. So I would much rather, you know, not be the top of something and be able to be like doing well and bringing everyone up around me that's a success to me more than like I'm on the top of the you gotta stack. Beat, you got to beat down. everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, I, I totally relate to the mortality, you know, feeling. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when my father passed away feeling the mortality. And then the second big like, you know, kick to the stomach was when I had kids. And I realized mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to die soon. <laughs> so um, you watch, And you watch them get all Your kids are younger than mine. But I mean, I watch my kids get older and. You know, my daughter's almost in high school now and I, and I see, I mean, that ages you, right? Cause you go, well, I, I must be older. Yeah. <laughs> right. they're, they're that old now then yeah. I must be older. And right. so it, it, even when, when you don't have kids, you kind of don't recognize that as much. You're, you're no. older and it's like, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you definitely grow a little bit older. So tell me what was the, what was a uh, curiosity? When was the, the jump into being a vegan? Uh, that's kind of been over the last year or so where I've been more of that. I've been vegetarian though for probably, um, eight or nine years now. Um, so the vegan side was more recent where I've been trying to be as much as I can kind of on that side. Um, and, and it's interesting cause I, I, I kind of accidentally fell into the vegetarian thing. My wife's been vegetarian for a long time, but, um, I just wasn't intentional about it at first. And then I felt better. And it, you know, when you feel, once you feel better for me, I was like, why am I going to stop doing this if this makes me feel better? And and then same thing, vegan. Uh, I realized some of the stuff that, you know, when I eat that, I don't really feel great. So I'm like, stop eating that. Yeah, no, exactly. Milk, right? I don't yeah. think I don't think anyone's supposed to be drinking milk. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no one I talk who's like, oh, I have a big glass of milk and I feel great. Yeah, exactly. Like, I get amazing. all bloated and farty <laughs> after I drink milk. Um, all right, so you are ready to set get going. Mm-hmm. You gave your notice. Mm-hmm. You have some loose ends to tie up at Silicon Valley Bank. Do you have your first deal? I have some deals. I I I, I, uh, I don't want to get into all the details of it, but yeah, there there are a few deals that I've looked at. Um, you know, but I'm kind of need to hold off for the moment. But I, I I think that we'll be able to be off and running pretty You're quickly. 
That's right. You're we'll dating. Be, okay. We'll be off and running pretty quickly once uh, once the time is right here. Okay. All right. And then you're in the process of raising, right? The term mm-hmm. of actually. So tell me about the structure of your fund. Yeah. So it's an evergreen fund, which is something that a lot of folks don't know a, a lot about. And it's uh, it's not a new idea, but it um, it's just a lot of funds haven't done that until recently. There's been even a little bit more knowledge around it. But um, so the fund structure is basically this. I have a fund cycle that doesn't end. That's what Evergreen like a typical means. ten year fund. Typical sometimes debt funds can be eight, but eight or ten year type fund would yeah be the typical structure. And so those funds, it's usually you have a fund fundraising window, which you know you know the next year I'm going to fundraise, and then it closes, and then the next ten years that fund is deployed and returned and it's done. And then you go raise another fund or usually you raise during that cycle. That sounds terrible. I, I feel <laughs> like, like it, it really does, which is why I just decided I, I'd rather do an evergreen and just kind of have availability to bring people in as, as it goes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I just like that cycle better. You know, if you need more capital then bring in more instead of like, well, once I raise my next fund, then I'll bring in more. And then you just can't do anything otherwise in the meantime. Well, it's great as an emerging manager too, is that, you people might want to try you out with a smaller check. They see you start producing like strong returns, getting companies, you're giving out dividends, which we're going to talk about in a second. And they want to put more money in and they don't have to wait for another three years yeah. before another fund opens up. Like they could say, okay, well, I want to double down. Like this guy's, this guy's moving. Exactly. I mean, I think the opportunity to bring in more capital um, over time is helpful and, and to prove to investors where, yeah, they don't have to go, okay, well, I want to invest $5 million, but I'm kind of hesitant. You know, it's like, okay, well, you can start a little smaller. And then, you know, once you see that, yeah, this is the real deal, it's like now you can go up to that and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So tell me about the economics of, of you know, I know you, you charge an interest rate to your companies. They pay the interest rate. How does the, you know, the inflows and the outflows of the fund happen and how do the LPs get paid? Yeah, so the LPs get paid um, based on um, their their percentage of the fund as far as a pro rata. And then, so, you know, they have a certain amount of capital invested into the fund and that's a total, that's a percentage of the total amount invested. And as we invest capital, meaning uh, do loans, we're going to get repaid through interest fees, you know, warrants, and those get paid back to the fund monthly. And as those come in, we'll repay to the limited partners, a distribution that comes out quarterly on all the income that comes in. So they get a percentage of that uh, quarterly distribution and the GP retains a percentage of that quarterly distribution minus our uh, management fee, which is kind of covers, you know, cost of the fund and you know mm-hmm. all the salaries and other things like that. Okay. Right on. And so, you know, you're really starting to get on risk the month after you put money in. Right. Or a quarter. I should say the quarter, like we actually receive cash back. As soon as soon as we have deals going, we're going to be distributing capital back. So we, we you know, like obviously we got to have deals funded. But as soon as we have deals funded, then people can expect to start getting checks. Right. They're small early on, obviously, because, you know, it's there's not much on, capital there. Yeah. It's based on how much we've invested. So we have to put the loans out. But as you do your first, second, third, fourth, and you start to do that, that, that starts to compound just like interest would compound where now we're getting repaid a larger sum all the time. And then that money gets delivered back to our limited partners. So they get a cash flow, a regular cash flow cycle quarterly that, you know, is, is lacking from a lot of investment vehicles right now as well. Okay. Right, right on. And you know, where, where, where else do you get that? Right. I mean, yeah. that's a pretty hard place to get that kind of return 
with those type of economics, um, you know, uh, so the typical limited partner is a high net worth individual institutions. How does that work? Yeah. So high net worth folks, family office groups are going to be the majority of our limited partners coming in. Uh, there may be some RIA type investors that would come in and invest in, in this type of structure as well. But yeah, I, I think certainly in the early stages of this, um, a lot of the folks will be high net worth that you know want to get, like we talked about, a cash flow and have something that they can you know, have access to capital maybe down the line if they needed to, but still be able to get a nice high rate of return on an alternative vehicle. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, what are you excited about right now besides starting your fund? Oh man, I, I, I like, uh, I'm really into mountain biking, so I'm excited to kind of get out and do that. And weather's been great. So get out and do that a little bit. I actually, a few founders here locally that we go out and ride uh, fairly regularly and that's, I enjoy doing that. I'm getting to see the kids now getting to be older and have their own personality and which there's definitely good and bad from that. But. Yeah, do they want to talk to you still or, or not? Um, well, it's not that they want to hang out with me that much, but uh, I get to see them evolving as people too. And that's a fun process, even if it's uh, maybe short term, not super positive for me. Directly. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And what about companies? Like what, what companies do you, are you really liking right now um, from a, uh, from like a, just an excitement opportunity perspective? Yeah. I mean, I, there's, there's definitely been, as I looked in Arizona, I was just some really fun, great companies. I, I, you know, I, I like quick a lot. It's one of those companies that just, you do love quick. I do. I love quick. <laughs> you do. I mean, you, you were on Jamie, the CEO so fast last night. You came in, mm-hmm. I got a, he's got, I got a guy crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I just think that there's the, you know, that I, the opportunity to be a large, large business is great. I think, you know, train doing an amazing job and, you know, I'd like to see Chris doing what he's doing. Um, and the, the way he's kind of, maintaining on the social media presence and kind of, you know, having a brand out there is really exciting. So, um, you know, I see some of those guys that I'm impressed also with the way when people are putting themselves out there to support other people. And I see folks like that. It's not just their companies a lot of times, but how they're willing to kind of just be an an advocate and a support for others. Right. I mean, like I said, bringing bringing others up with them. Well, that's why I say like, with like Jamie or Chris and stuff mm-hmm. where they're out in the market willing to be, um, willing to be, a, a, you know, some sort of a mentor and talk with other people and give guidance, give advice, say this is what I did. This is where I failed. This is where I did really well. And I'm, I'll spend some time and talk to you about that and give you that, uh, that path so that you can be successful too, versus I don't want to give anything away and I'm just going to keep it all myself because I want to be, you know, the most successful right. and prove it. And I just, I like, people have that. I think there's a lot of people like that here in Arizona that are just want to help others and be part of a community. And, and I just love that. It is a great community. People really do from the operator perspective, they really do uh, support each other in a meaningful way because, you know, I can understand it's, it's a, it's a pretty lonely environment. So you named off a bunch of Arizona companies. Mm -hmm. So is that your area, right? Your quote unquote area, um, when you were at Silicon Valley bank was what Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico. Yep. yep. And, and so like, what about some of the other, these other markets? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, those are the markets that I've been supporting. You're talking about the other market, like Nevada and, and New Mexico. Um, so I'd say most of the other companies that I 
work with or again kind of New Mexico based. Oddly enough, I just Las Vegas has been fairly light on the the capital and the startup front, which I think is starting to evolve a little bit more. And I've been trying to kind of get involved with what's going on there, but it's um it's been a a slower transition than I would think for kind of the size of the city that it is there. Yeah. Well, what, what is the main, I mean, is it just a lot of just tourism? I mean, I'm thinking of Las Vegas. I mean, it clearly is, that's a big state. It's right? a hospitality type city, right? I mean, that's what drives it. People come there for tourism. And so capital that's coming in there is investing in that. So they haven't had, um, Tony Shea spent some time, right. Trying to put capital in and grow kind of a tech scene and build out their downtown, which they did a good job of actually on the, at least on the real estate and kind of revitalizing that. But it, um, it lacks a little bit more on the, the company side for the growth, but hopefully they're starting to see a little bit more trajectory now. Nice. So when do you, when do you have outlined your, uh, your first close and your first deal being deployed? Um, so first close will be likely by the start of June and they'll, um, hopefully we'll have a deal in that next month or so after that, that's the goal. Right. When it gets to be like super hot. That's right. Nice. That's right. You're going to be traveling a lot. Uh, I will be traveling as we have deals, right? So, if the, you know, the deals that we're going to do will be anywhere in the country. So it doesn't, not necessarily in this region only. So, uh, we'll be traveling as we're closing on deals to make sure we go out and visit and kind of do some of the due diligence on, on the business in person. So you have some relationships that will feed you opportunities. What, what else are, what other sourcing mechanisms are you looking at? You know, there are some online type sourcing, um, options, which, um, I Timia is really online. Do you know Timia Capital? It's I think it's T I M A or T I M I A. They're okay. all over LinkedIn. Yeah, they're on, more on LinkedIn than I am on LinkedIn, and I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> you just scroll through your LinkedIn, you just see my face. Yeah, just it's constantly. like every other post. Yeah. basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, posting, having some social media is important, and there are some you know lead source, lead gen type sites. I don't personally like that as much, but I know, you know, it's an opportunity to kind of, you know, an alternative sourcing opportunity as well. But I, I I don't think there's any replacement to having someone that you trust tell you, um, something about a founder. I think there's nothing better than having that. Right. Which is part of the problem too, because it's all of a network game. And if you don't have access to that network, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't get, you don't get introduced. So, so like, how do you, how do you plan on getting into that community? Meaning the females and, you know, the underrepresented founders, minority founders that don't have a network to refer to you. Yeah. That's going to be some of the, uh, the things that I have to learn. This is some of the stuff I have to learn. I I wish I, I wish I could tell you like, well, I'm just going to go in and do this or whatever, but like, you know, you it's very possible that it's like, hey, we're not interested or, you know, some people might not be OK with, you know, the, the focus that we have or something. And that that might be something that we have to figure out. Um, There's a I lot of minority we'll funds out there now, like equity funds that I'm sure that you can partner with. Yeah, that's that's definitely one. And like I mentioned, uh, I think Philip's been, um, I think, focused on kind of making building some of those relationships already with some of those types of groups. And a lot of those are seed funds. Um, they have smaller dollars, small check sizes right now, which would probably fit in really nicely with what we're doing to be able to support some of those groups. And, uh, hopefully we'll be able to be an advocate for, for them as well. I mean, I want to make sure that we're taking the right action and and helping people as much as we can. Nice. Nice. All right. Quick canned questions. (laughs) Favorite book. Favorite book. Oh my gosh. Did you read or? Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, I was going to go 
old school and go uh, rich dad, poor dad then. That was literally the last podcast I did. The guy said rich dad, poor dad. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I started to read it. And I was like, I, I don't get it. Right? It like, <laughs> rich, rich kid, poor kid. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, favorite uh, or best piece of business advice. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to what I said before, which is like view view everything as an opportunity and and you know opportunistically as a partnership and a way to kind of add value together. Be supportive of the people you're working with and 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 think of things not as how you can gain something, but how you can help other people and you will win. I mean, it's going to help everyone. God, I got to hang out with you more, man. You got to rub off on me. Like, I'm like, I just don't relate to you at all. (laughs) I'm like a scorpion. I just, I can't, I can't help myself. It's the nature of the beast. I'm just wired differently. Uh, and then anybody that you like to follow online or, you know, that you like to, you know, it's funny. I, I am, I, I'm, not really. I try to not be so much on the online, like on the line, online, <laughs> on the line, <laughs> yeah. all of that stuff. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I go into you know LinkedIn and I'm doing that stuff and I'm checking what's going on on there, but I, I try to not be following specific people like the, like they're they're the all knowing or something like that. I, I like to know what people are doing and things, but not be focused on anyone specific like that. Mm-hmm. And then any public stocks that you're that you're buying that you like right now. Oh my god. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge stock person. I do trade a little bit. Dude, but you're doing covered calls, man. Come I, on. I've done a, yes, a few <laughs> of that here. You're like a dabble. You're like doing like, you know, pretty advanced trading strategies. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, the, um, Nordstrom, I've done a little bit lately, which really? is an odd one because, uh, I've, you know, I typically like tech stuff. And so I'm usually looking at tech stocks and things, but I, I was doing some trading and options on that you know, over the last few months. And it's kind of, it's been a, it's been a good one for the strategy that I use on there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I feel like I need to, it's, I need to dig a lot deeper because I have a big, you know, piece in in public equities and I just don't, I just don't follow it. Right. You know, that I should. And, um, you know, I just think that, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to learn there, but there's just so much information. It's hard to be, you know, really in tune what's going on in the private markets and the public markets. Mm Mm-hmm. What about the debt market? Is there like any type of like repository of information that you can follow associations? I mean, there's, there's on, there's, there's definitely public debt funds that you can do larger ones, right. Where Mm -hmm. you can invest in those. Some of those ones are restricted again, where it's kind of like you have to kind of get in through a broker who buys in. And so there's, there's sort of an additional cost. It's not as available to it. Although you can do, you know, some debt funds like the Trinity here locally or WTI and others ones like that, or you can buy just public stock of them and they give, you know, some distributions and stuff. So there's other ways you can kind of follow what's going on by looking at those public cool. companies. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ryan. You are listening to the Capital Stack. If you liked what you heard here today, we do a podcast that gets dropped every Tuesday. We talk to the best investors, operators, and founders in the startup technology ecosystem. Uh, if you like what you heard, please follow, write a review. You can even say I suck. Um, I welcome it. And uh, that's it. See you all next week. Bye-bye. Thanks, Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. 
David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast. <laughs>